I uh, know that it's a time of uh, tension, and uh, not everybody's in such a good mood. So I thought I would discuss something very cheerful, anti-Semitism in the Middle Ages, which uh, is the topic of today's lecture. Now, uh, in the 4th century of the Common Era, uh, the Roman Empire turned from a pagan empire into a Christian empire. The spread of Christianity for the first three centuries of the Common Era is one of the great stories of Western civilization uh, and the decline of paganism and the conversion of much of the world to a uh, monotheistic religion uh, marked a great change in human history. However, uh, Christianity was born from Judaism as being Jewish. That certainly was the idea of Peter and others of the early church leaders. However, Paul, by the year 90, expanded Christianity because he saw two very important things. He saw, one, that the Jews were not becoming Christians. Even though Christianity existed for almost a century, its progress amongst the Jews was very limited, it had very little appeal, and the Jews were uh, looked at the uh, Christian Jews, quote-unquote, or the Jewish Christians, as uh, some sort of aberrant sect uh, that was uh, at odds with all of Jewish belief and tradition. The second thing that Paul noticed was that it had appeal in the pagan world, especially to the lower classes, to the slaves and the freed slaves, and even to parts of Roman aristocracy. And therefore, in order to create a climate by which Christianity could dominate, Paul, to a great extent, cut off its Jewish roots as far as observances were concerned, but not necessarily as far as basic values or ideas. But like uh, no longer was one bound by any dietary laws, uh, no longer was uh, uh, Saturday the Sabbath, and no longer was the Sabbath such a restrictive day. Uh, he did away with all of that. But he kept the ideas of love, of mercy, of charity, of uh, uh, caring for others. And uh, the church, uh, early church, uh, grappled with the idea of monotheism. And uh, there were many splits in the church, because once we get into theology and philosophy, it's very hard to have just one idea you think about it, it always fragments into different opinions and different ideas. 
and uh, therefore uh, the uh, idea of the Trinity uh, came into being, that God is one, but somehow there are two partners uh, that are also involved. Now, uh, to Judaism, this was anathema. Uh, this uh, led to uh, a complete rejection of the ideas of Christianity by Jews because they could not imagine that God, so to speak, had a son or that there was an independent Holy Spirit. There was only God, Any, however we look at it, nothing else. And that's what we say in the prayer, there's nothing except God. Uh, on top of that, there was also a problem that uh, the divinity of uh, the Savior of Christianity, that he, so to speak, was God in a, uniform, in a human form, and that he was killed. So how do we reconcile that? So Judaism rejected all of that. It said God never appeared in a human form. The line between heaven and human beings is very distinctly drawn. It is not compromised. It's not blurred. And because of that, therefore, the Jews stood in opposition to these tenets of Christianity. Now, within Christianity itself, there was an, what they called an Aryan uh, heresy, which also rejected the ideas of the Trinity. And there were other heresies, because uh, when uh, you're talking about the creation and the formation of a religion, uh, so uh, there's plenty of room for different ideas and different beliefs. And things are not set in stone as of yet. Because of all of this, uh, you have the backdrop also of the Roman Empire, which uh, moved from uh, its seat of power in Rome itself. It moved east to uh, the seat of the Roman Empire, moved from Rome uh, to uh, then uh, Constantinople, uh, today's Istanbul, uh, the Emperor Constantine, in fact, converted to Christianity, and he made the Roman Empire Christian. After his death, it reverted again to paganism under Julian the Apostate, but eventually the Roman Empire became Christian, and uh, the Roman Empire was divided into the Eastern Empire, which was based in Constantinople, and the Western Empire, which was based in Rome, and it was seen as one unity. And Christianity, therefore, also was seen within the Roman Empire as a unity. The Jews who were spread throughout the Roman Empire, because we're talking now uh, four, three centuries after the destruction of the Temple and the exile from the land of Israel. So the Jews were located mainly in the Middle East, 
in uh, Iraq, Babylonia, Persia, parts of North Africa, Egypt, and they were located in the western part of the Roman Empire, especially in what is today Italy. And uh, the Jews were not Christians. Uh, they did not believe in Christianity, and in fact, they denied Christianity. And uh, the Christians resented that greatly, because after all, uh, the people of the Savior of Christianity uh, should be the first ones that believe in him, not the ones that reject him and say that the whole thing doesn't exist. And because of that, therefore, we find already in the writings of the early church fathers, Justin Martyr and others, uh, terrible anti-Jewish screeds, uh, because they said that the, the Jews have to be so evil that they deny their own Savior. And this is the seed of religious anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism-based not upon behavior and not upon experiences, but upon beliefs, upon the religion. And since the Jews did not agree to the religion, so then they became heretics. And uh, a heretic in the ancient world, in the medieval world, was to be burned at the stake. There was no idea of freedom of thought. There was no idea that people could hold different ideas and were entitled to hold different ideas. On matters of faith, either you believed as the official line wanted you to believe, or you were liable to death. And uh, in the 4th and 5th centuries, there were great wars within Christianity, uh, against the heresies that arose. Because there always are heresies that arise. There always are people that say, well, I don't believe that. Uh, all of Jewish history shows us that that happens by us, too. I mean, it's not people uh, look today and they say, oh, you know, how can it be that so many Jews gone from it don't believe? So first of all, they don't believe is an exaggeration. But how come they don't observe? How come they're not like me? How come they don't wear my clothes? Well, that's the nature of the human race. And it's been the nature of the Jewish people from day one. Uh, when uh, they left Egypt, they built a golden calf right away. And they rebelled in the desert. And throughout the period of the conquest of the land of Israel and the period of the judges, and the period of the kings, it's uh, one long story of, uh, you know, uh, they don't believe. Uh, it's the challenge that uh, the prophet Elijah issued to the prophets of the Baal, to the Jewish people. He said, if you believe that Hashem is God, then go and worship him. And if not, if the Baal is the God, then go worship Baal, but don't confuse the two. I mean, don't, don't mess the whole thing up. But uh, that's almost an ideal situation, which even in the time of Elijah, he was unable to resolve. So you have, by the 4th and 5th centuries, which is the beginning of the period that we call the Dark Ages, 
Rome collapses. It's uh, conquered by the barbarians. And the Christian world splits into two parts. The eastern part, Constantinople uh, uh, originally uh, was called Byzantium. So the eastern church was the Byzantine church. And then the western church was the Roman church, which is Roman Catholicism. Even though they both allegedly espouse the same religion, they have these divisions between them, different customs, different beliefs. And also the question is, is the bishop of Rome more powerful than the bishop of Byzantium? Who's the real pope, so to speak? Who's entitled? The Byzantium Christians... The Eastern Christians uh, persecuted the Jews unmercifully. In fact, uh, the uh, reason why uh, the Jerusalem Talmud was born and only lasted about 150, 180 years, the period of the development of the Jerusalem Talmud, which is only about half the time that the Babylonian Talmud developed, was simply because the Byzantine Christians destroyed Jewish settlement and uh, Jewish existence in the land of Israel and in that area, and the scholars could not meet, and therefore uh, no, the Talmud could not be produced without scholars. It doesn't stand independent of the people. And because of that, therefore, you had uh, enforced anti-Jewish decrees. Now, for some reason or other, uh, the Jews of Iraq... Babylonia and Persia uh, did not feel this type of pressure. And Jewish life there existed and flourished and was productive, whereas the Jews in the Western Empire under Rome fell into an age which was called the Dark Ages. The dark ages, simply as the Danes implied, they were very dark because nobody knew how to read and nobody knew how to write. And because the pagan tribes from all over Europe reconquered the Roman Empire, destroyed much of what Roman Greece had accomplished over so many centuries, the ideas and civilization and even the buildings, and it, it all fell into great disuse. Uh, one of the uh, fallacies that uh, people believe is that once something is accomplished, okay, that's going to remain forever. Now we're going to build on it. The truth of the matter is that once something is accomplished, it's also in danger. It's also destroyed. It doesn't remain forever. And you have to rebuild it. And it will take Europe four or five hundred years. In fact, it will take Europe until the Renaissance and almost modern world to rebuild what it had at the time of Rome and ancient Greece. And uh, that's why it was called the Renaissance, because they're rebuilding what was before. They're reawakening uh, the spirit and knowledge that once existed, but had been lost. So now we have the Western Church, which is the Roman Catholic Church, and the Eastern Church, which is today called the Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Serbian Orthodox, uh, the Orthodox Church, uh, two different branches of Christianity, who uh, make war upon each other, who do not really like each other. Uh, the crusaders in the 
12th century, 13th century, sack Constantinople, destroy uh, the Eastern Church. And until today, there is a great deal of tension between different groups. Anyone who is in Jerusalem uh, during the holiday seasons know that there are actual wars uh, in one of the churches in Jerusalem between the groups of the Christians who controls that, so to speak, holy site. And uh, so that's uh, minor fracas in terms of history. But the other times in history, it was actual war, with tens of thousands of people being killed. Now, in the midst of all of this, you have the Jewish people who uh, deny the Eastern Church and deny the Western Church. We are uh, non-discriminate deniers. And uh, the Church was faced with a theologic problem. And the theological problem is the Jewish people. Who are they? What are they? And if Christianity is here to replace Judaism, which is one of the tenets of Christianity, and the New Testament is to outweigh the old, uh, it's the replacement for Judaism, it's, so to speak, the culmination of Judaism, then how come the Jewish people... Uh, Ignore it, uh, deny it, uh, are not willing to go along with it in any shape or form. That's a great theological problem. So uh, there were solutions to the problem. Uh, one solution was to forcibly convert the Jewish people. Now, forcible conversion is really the basis of Christianity and also of Islam. Uh, Islam, which arises in the 7th century, uh, was basically uh, created by a small tribe of Arabs emanating in Arabia, but who were very warlike. And Islam preached the idea of jihad, that you can force people. You know what the perfect faith is, and therefore you can coerce people into converting into your faith and if they don't want to, then you kill them. Now, that's a vast overstatement, but it lies at part of the problem of Sharia law today and of how the Western world has to deal with the Muslim world that it is very slow to understand and appreciate what the problem really is. The problem is that you're not going to abide by Sharia law. If you're not going to abide by Sharia law, then Sharia law entitles you to force you to abide, to abide, or else to destroy you. And the same thing was with Christianity. So the church felt that it could coerce the Jewish people how to convert, force them to convert. Now that coercion occurred in various forms. One was discrimination against the Jews, to make life so miserable for the Jew living in a Christian country, that one perforce would convert. We'll find uh, uh, in next week's lecture, when we conclude this brilliant series, that this uh, was especially prevalent in the modern age, where if you wanted to, in the 19th century in Europe, if you wanted to get ahead, you had to become a Christian. As Heine said, uh, 
so pithily, he said, the ticket for admission to European society is Christianity. And uh, if you want to be admitted, then you got to punch the ticket. Now, because the Jews were so scattered, so we look at that as being a uh, negative. But in the long view of history, it's not such a negative. It was uh, an ability to survive. We find that by our father Jacob, that he divided his camp into two. When he was afraid of his brother Esau, he said if one camp is uh, endangered, but the other one will escape easily. So it was hard to... The Jews were everywhere, and they were nowhere. And therefore, it was hard. Uh, even uh, even at the, in the Holocaust, the, the Germans had to gather Jews from all over Europe and put them on trains to get them together. It was too scattered to do any effective... Uh, Elimination of the Jews uh, is in the in the pre-industrial era, and because of all of that, therefore, uh, they made life terrible and miserable, but uh, not really uh, uh, bad enough so that Jews automatically would give up Judaism and convert to Christianity. That did not happen, and uh, because of that, that was a source of great frustration to the church. So uh, there was a second uh, idea, program, which was the idea of uh, persuasion. We would be able to persuade the Jews through debates and writings, arguments about the truth of Christianity and that the Jews are, are logical people they are people that are given to uh, understanding arguments and that our argument would be so overwhelmingly powerful, would be so clear that uh, the Jews would adopt it. So we have in the Middle Ages a series of debates, theological debates between Jews and non-Jews. And uh, the church sponsored those debates in the belief that this would be the key to getting the Jews to convert. Uh, the most famous debate, the one that's least most dramatic, uh, there have been books written about it and even films, this great debate between Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman, the Ramban, and uh, an apostate Jew. Now, the church always used apostate Jews as their debaters. They always used uh, Jews that, to a certain extent, were scholarly Jews that went to the yeshiva and somehow had converted, and then they became the chief uh, debaters and prosecutors of the Jewish people. So... Uh, this uh, was a uh, Dominican friar by the name of uh, Paul uh, who uh, debated uh, the Ramban. The Ramban wrote a uh, detailed description of that debate. It's called Sefer Havikuach. 
the book of debate, and uh, it happened uh, before Shavuos in the year 1263 in Barcelona in Spain, and uh, it was in front of uh, King James of Aragon, the Catholic king, who, by the way, uh, to his credit, uh, allowed the debate to be a fair one. And he assured the Ramban that whatever the Ramban said would, so to speak, not be held against him, would not in any way uh, be uh, uh, (coughs) the source of his persecution after the debate. At the end of the debate, where the Ramban naturally refuted all of the proofs, uh, this uh, apostate Jew who knew the Talmud attempted to prove that the Talmud itself believed in Christianity. A a prima facie, preposterous idea, but uh, that was his basis for argument, and the Ramban refuted it over and over and over again. And the Ramban made very uh, harsh statements about Christianity. Uh, one of his great statements was that he said that the Christianity peaches, preaches love and peace. And he said in the 700 years that Christianity has existed, that the world uh, has found itself at war and, uh, and cruelty in a measure that uh, even was greater than how it was in the pagan times. So he said, you see, it doesn't work. And he said that the Jewish people are described as a uh, lone sheep amidst 70 wolves. And he said, the Lord has preserved us and will continue to preserve us. And basically he said, leave us alone. We're not bothering you. Now, we're not bothering you is not necessarily correct because of the fact that the mere existence of the Jewish people was a trouble to the church. It always stood as a problem, as something that can't be. And how do we explain it? So the church came up with an idea. The persuasion failed. The church came up with an idea that the Jewish people were the mission people. Now, the mission people didn't mean that we have a mission in the world, but as much as it meant that the reason the Jewish people still exist and we can't get rid of them, and no matter what we do, it doesn't seem to uh, change them, is because they have a mission. And their mission is to exist throughout time so that when the Christian Savior will come again, the second coming, who will be able to recognize him? Who will be able to talk to him? What language? It won't be Latin. It won't be Greek. So we have to have Jews. The Jews will be the ones that recognize him. The Jews will be the ones that will acclaim him. The Jews will be the one that will enthrone him. And if that's the case, so that we have to have Jews, can't destroy the whole Jewish people. And from that there arose one of the great anomalies of history, something called the Pope's Jews. The Pope of Rome always had a few hundred Jews 
living under his protection. No matter what happens in the rest of the Christian world, no matter how many pogroms, uh, no matter the Holocaust, but the Pope's Jews always remain. And uh, it was an interesting phenomenon throughout the Middle Ages that the Jewish neighborhoods were always next to the cathedrals, always next to the great churches, because that is where they were the most protected, because theologically they were necessary. And uh, this, uh, this reflected itself that, uh, for instance, the, uh, the Vatican, uh, and most of the purveyors of the, uh, I shouldn't say the years, but most of the purveyors of the artifacts that uh, Catholics come to purchase in the Vatican, uh, etc., the people sell it to Jews. And the Jews are, uh, it's in the traditional a form of uh, Jewish commerce throughout the ages, which was granted to them by the church, simply because of the fact that the church theologically needed Jews to survive. It's uh, one of the interesting sidelights to the Holocaust of the Second World War is that the only time that Pope Pius XII really protested the Germans as to what was going on so they rounded up the Jews of Rome and the game to round up his Jews as well. That already was uh, a line that he was not willing to cross. So, in the Middle Ages, uh, this is all religion. And the Jews had a wrong religion. The same thing was true in the Muslim world. Uh, Muhammad felt uh, that uh, the Jews rejected Christianity because they had problems with Trinity and the, the Christians had all sorts of saints and they had all sorts of idols and artifacts in the church uh, that were pagan. So he said, I understand why the Jews reject it. But I give them a religion. The mosque has absolutely no symbol whatsoever in it. I have a pure monotheism. I don't declare uh, that Muhammad is the son of God. He's a prophet. But I don't touch God at all. And uh, he took many of the ideas of Judaism and incorporated them in the Koran and the ideas of the Muslim world. And because of the fact that Yan uh, himself was from this Arab tribe, so he said, my ancestor is Abraham. And he said, but the Jews got the story wrong. It was not Isaac that was bound on the altar. It was Ishmael, and we are descended from Ishmael, and we are rightful heirs of Abraham. And we were entitled to everything. Well, he thought that that would sell. So in the Koran itself, there are many complimentary things said about the Jews. Because those parts were written when he thought, so to speak, that the Jews were susceptible to being converted. However, there are many terrible things in the Koran about the Jews. Insults calumnies, curses, uh, because that's when he realized that the Jews were not going to convert. That just as the Jews had rejected Christianity, they were going to reject Islam as well. Now, because of the vast territories that uh, the Muslims conquered, all of North Africa and the Middle East, and uh, they came uh, the, the Balkans and uh, that came to the gates of Vienna, 
it's because of all of that, he had a lot of, the, the Muslims had a lot of non-Muslims in their midst that they had to deal with. And how did they deal with them? So uh, they created a theory called Dimi. Dimi meant, first of all, they identified Christians and Jews as the people of the book, meaning they have some connection to uh, holiness and to uh, the Muslim religion. They're not out of it completely because they're in the book. The book meaning uh, the Bible, which has been supplanted by the Koran. But uh, they created uh, a second-class second class tier of people called dimmies. Dimmies, Jews and Christians, had a right to live in Muslim lands, but they were restricted. They were second-class. They could not be in every profession. They could not be uh, equal uh, to what the Muslims were, not in commerce, uh, not in education, uh, uh, all sorts of decrees, but they were not doomed to destruction. And that is how the Eastern Jews uh, lived for uh, millennia under Muslim rule, even though it was not pleasant, and at times it was uh, even violent. But on the whole, it was a much uh, easier uh, situation for the Jews than it was for those in Christian Europe, where... uh, Violence was used as a means to destroy the Jews. Now, uh, certain things happened that uh, the Jews, uh, because of their religion, uh, they they were forced to wear uh, funny clothes, funny hats. You can look there. There's a Haggadah of Pesach. from the Middle Ages, it's been reprinted many times. And you see that the Jews there are wearing strange hats, pointed hats with a bulb on top, and all sorts. They're dressed like clowns because the Christians forced them to do that. Or they have to wear a patch. Like in the, the Germans made the Jews wear a patch that said, you did. And uh, all of this was meant to uh, degrade the Jews to such an extent that they would give in, that they would break down. And then on top of it, in the Middle Ages, the Middle Ages, nobody knew anything about the coronavirus. The Middle Ages was replete with plagues, with uh, all sorts of health crises. So today we're more sophisticated, even though uh, we are not... uh, sanguine about it and we don't understand it and it has uh, consequences that to us uh, are unbelievable. Nobody uh, three months ago if I would tell you what this world looks like you would have said you know he's, you know, he's out of his mind. But uh, we're witness to this. So for instance in the uh, uh, Barbara Buckman has a book uh, about uh, the 14th century, which is the worst century of the Middle Ages, certainly in Western European life, a hundred years' war between France and England, all sorts of terrible things go on. 
one of the things that go on is the bubonic plague. It's a plague that was brought uh, by rats, by fleas. I mean, that's the interpretation that we have today. Fleas who live on the fur of rats, and the rats infested the ships that brought commerce from the east to the west, and these fleas uh, created the bubonic plague, and nobody knew what the bubonic plague was about, except that people died of it in great numbers. The plague was of such an effect that it's estimated that about a third of the population of Western Europe died in that century. Whole cities disappeared. Uh, the forests reclaimed uh, what had become agricultural land, yeah, and nobody knew how it was happening. Nobody knew uh, why it was happening. And uh, because of that, therefore, in desperation, people always search for scapegoats. Can't, it's got to be something. So uh, there arose uh, the uh, idea spread throughout Europe that the Jews were poisoning the wells. Now, why would the Jews poison the wells? That was never explained, but none of this is logical. Anti-Semitism is the most illogical of all of the hatreds in the world. So uh, they poisoned the wells. Okay, so now we're going to get rid of them. You had in the uh, 12th century and 13th century, beginning in England, the uh, blood libel that in order to make masses for Passover, uh, Jews require the blood of a Christian child. Now, it, uh, that, that is beyond belief, but people believed it. And if you go uh, to England today, uh, you'll see uh, monuments uh, to uh, uh, Christian children that somehow disappeared in that century and were... Uh, granted the status of being saints and who uh, their history is that they were murdered by Jews in order to have blood for Matzahs. So uh, the Jew is the devil incarnate. Every trouble in the world is because of the Jews. They're poisoning wells. They're killing Christian children. They have uh, blood for Matzahs. And therefore, you have expulsions. We want to get rid of them. We don't want them in our midst. So uh, the Jews were expelled from England. The Jews were expelled from France. Now, in Spain, Spain was, uh, for a long period of time, divided between the Muslims and the Christians. In the Muslim half, the Jews prospered greatly. Uh, they even rose to great positions. There were Jewish generals in the army. Uh, there were Jewish prime ministers, uh, Shmuel Anagid, uh, in Shaprut. There were great uh, leaders. And it was called Golden Age of Spain. Because Spain itself prospered in every way. The Rambam Maimonides is born in Cordoba. But uh, again... Uh, first, there is religious fanaticism on the part of the Muslims. 
there's a group of people called the Almohads who said that uh, this tolerant attitude towards the Jews corrupts Islam. So that's so it's a sign that uh, they're not really uh, uh, believers in Islam, and this corrupts it, and therefore it will weaken it, and will be driven from Spain by the Christians. So therefore they mounted anti-Jewish pogroms. The Rambam and his father and brother were forced to flee from Cordoba and to hide in the Atlas Mountains in Morocco, where the Almohads also were powerful. And that's really the beginning of the end of the Golden Age. But it was the Christian reconquest of Spain. The Christians in the north came south and drove out the Muslims, reestablished Christian rule. Uh, that uh, put the Jews under great pressure. So in uh, 1391, again, there was a preacher uh, called Ferrer who traveled throughout Spain, Christian preacher, uh, propagandizing against the Jews. And he said, everything, the plagues are the Jews. The, the, uh, any trouble that exists, it's because of the Jews. And because we tolerate the Jews. And because of that, in 1391, there was a tremendous problem in Spain. And in that pogrom, tens of thousands of Jews were forced to convert to Christianity. And uh, it uh, was an example of the fact that uh, Jews felt they could uh, convert on the outside and remain Jewish on the inside, something which a hundred years later they would attempt to do as well. Uh, one of the... Uh, Strange, uh, again, anomalies of the time is that the grandfather of Don Yitzhak Abarnel was one of those who converted, but he sent his family to Portugal where they could still remain as Jews. In, uh, as the reconquest of Spain continued, uh, the, uh, this, again, was really at the instigation of apostate Jews. There were apostate Jews who complained to the church that the Jews who had converted really hadn't converted. They were fakers, which was undoubtedly true in many states. They remained Jewish in, the, in every way, except on the outside, they went to the church on Sunday. And in order to uproot these people, the Church created the Holy Order of the Inquisition. Now, the Inquisition was not made directly against Jews who were officially Jews. It was made against Jews who, on the outside, were Christians. And uh, that was its purpose. And the Holy Office of the Inquisition used uh, terrible methods, tortures beyond description. And naturally, you get people to confess to anything if you torture them long enough. Stalin proved that. And uh, because of all of this, uh, 
Tuisane was rocked. It was weakened internally. And uh, in 1492, uh, when Isabella and Ferdinand married, and they uh, combined Aragon uh, with Castile and the United Spain, they completed the reconquest. They drove the Muslims out of Spain. And uh, under the uh, prodding of the church and of the Inquisition, uh, they uh, gave the Jews of Spain the choice of exile or of conversion. And the Spanish-Jewish community basically split in two. And remained in Spain, converted, and then exile. Now, uh, in Germany, uh, there were uh, all sorts of pogroms. There was a guy by the name of Pfefferkorn who organized them. Again, any trouble that existed in the Middle Ages was the problem of the Jews. In the Middle Ages, they believed in witches. They believed in all sorts of super... So it's, it's not, hard, uh, not hard to imagine that this was an easy sell. But he, the, the question was anti-Semitism of religion, simply of religion. And if we're talking about anti-Semitism of religion, there is a cure. And the cure is conversion. Because uh, once you're not of that faith, so then, so to speak, you're exempt. And that was the pressure that was put upon the Jews. The Jews were always loath to convert, even under the worst of circumstances. And uh, because of that, the Jews remained a thorn in the side of the church, in the side of Islam, and of the countries that they lived in. Uh, in the uh, 11th and 12th and 13th centuries, there were the Crusades. Uh, that came to drive the Muslims out of the land of Israel and re reclaim it for Christianity. But on the way, the Crusaders said, why do we have to go all the way to the Middle East to kill infidels? We got infidels right next door here in our midst. And even though the number of Jews killed by the Crusaders is really small change in terms of... Uh, Jewish death in the exile. For instance, uh, when the uh, tri-city of spires and worms and mines was destroyed by the Crusaders, uh, probably no more than a thousand or fifteen hundred Jews actually were killed. But the effect was that uh, either you convert, either you give it up, or we're going to come get you. And that was a prevalent attitude throughout uh, Christian Europe and, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, through the Islamic world as well. Now, Christian Europe would break up. The Roman Catholic Church would lose its hold. It would lose its hegemony. Uh, in the 16th century, Protestants would arise. Uh, the Renaissance would uh, stand against the church. 
modern science, etc., would stand against the church. When all of that happened, to a certain extent it worsened the position of the Jews, because then the church said the reason all of this is happening is the Jews are fomenting it. Now, Luther, who was originally a Catholic monk and then the head of the founder of the Lutheran Church and Protestantism, so he also felt that the Jews would agree with him and that in agreeing with him, they would convert and become Protestants. And then he, like all of the other innovators, uh, saw to his chagrin that that did not happen. Well, when that did not happen, so then he turned into a bitter, bitter anti-Semite. Luther wrote some of the worst diatribes against the Jews. So when we talk about the Holocaust and Julius Streicher and the Nazis, they did not invent anything. They simply repeated what was part of the background music, the noise of the time. And it always has and continues to have a resonance because life is so confusing. It's so mysterious. There are so many things that happen for which we have no explanation. And human beings always want to have an explanation. We always desire, right? Look now. If somebody came today and said, I know why the coronavirus happened. Well, he's going to have or she's going to have followers. doesn't have to be true, but at least it provides some explanation. But when the leaders of the world get up and say, we have no idea what's going on, and we don't know how it came, and we don't know how it's going to end, and what's going to be, it's not very reassuring. And because of that, therefore, uh, uh, <laughs> people find it hard to deal with. So anti-Semitism is a comfort zone. I, I know why things happen, because there are Jews in the world. They're doing it. They're ruining it. And once I feel that I know why it's happening, so then I can uh, take measures, so to speak, to correct the situation. So if the pagan world was because of the national existence of the Jewish people, not because of their religion, but that's why there was anti-Semitism, because the Jews were different as a nation. In the Middle Ages, it was simply because of the fact of religion. The Jews were uh, persecuted for their belief, and they became the scapegoat for the world. Okay, next week we will talk about the more modern period, where Jews, uh, no longer is it a matter of religion, but it's a matter of race, and uh, that becomes even more difficult. So I uh, want to thank you all for tuning in.